0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com businessgoldcard. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Before COVID-19, BNEF were already looking at European coal having only five to 10 years of life left, but that timeline is shortening further and it's possible that coronavirus may be something that the coal industry won't be able to recover from. We recently had a record-breaking number of days without coal in the UK, and it appears that these records are poised to continue as coal-fired generation declines across Europe. Today, we'll be speaking with Catherine Poseidon, a member of the EMEA Energy Transition Team, whose work includes coal phase-out, and Andrea Scandolfo, the head of EMEA Power at BNEF. Today, we'll be calling upon a series that BNEF produces, which are titled EU power Weeklies. As of late, there have been several of these research notes that have touched upon the role of coal. These reports can be accessed at BNEF Go on the Bloomberg Terminal, at bnef.com, or on BNEF's mobile app. They are titled EU Power Weekly, Poland Eyes German Style Coal Spinoff, as well as Coal Industry is Exposed by COVID-19 and Poland Clings to Coal Beyond 2040. BNEF does not provide investment or strategy advice, and you can hear the full disclaimer at the end of the show. I'm Dana Perkins, joined by Mark Taylor, and you're listening to Switched On, the BNEF podcast. Let's hear from today's guests regarding coal phaseout. Catherine, Andreas, thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you, Dina.
2: Thank you for having us, Dina.
1: So today is actually a pretty important day, I think, in the UK when it comes to coal. We are recording on the day that for the first time, the UK has not using any coal for power generation for two full months. This is pretty significant. And maybe let's ping that back over to you guys to talk about why and, and a little history lesson here.
2: Maybe we can start with the economics and why the UK, even though it's a big milestone for the country, it's not the first time this has happened. So the UK has taken a lot of steps to kick coal out, the most important one being that they actually have their own carbon price floor. Uh, And so essentially UK coal generators need to pay extra for emitting, which comes on top of what they already need to pay under the EU carbon price scheme. Just to be clear, what is that floor? No one really knows. <laughs> it's said very vaguely by the government, and they say uh, we want to keep the, whole, the entire carbon price at current levels. That's what they told us a couple of years ago, and that was around £25 per ton. Uh, and so it looks like they're targeting something around £25 per ton. And the second big thing that has happened in the UK is that essentially uh, they have a coal phase update, and they were the first ones to announce um, a big one like that. Uh, And they started the trend. And essentially, within the matter of a few years, from 2014 to 2018, we saw coal capacity in the UK declining very, very quickly. And coal use also declining very, very quickly. And that coincides very well with a period when the carbon price floor was doubling. Uh, So it doubled in that period. And it also coincided with when the government announced the coal phase-out date, which uh, in retrospect looks more like they were just formalizing what utilities were later on going to do anyway.
1: So that's great context regarding the UK specifically, but how about the rest of Europe? This is a European story, is it not?
0: It is for sure, and one of the signals that uh, we've seen from the UK that is reflected across the continent really is the speed with which coal is starting to to move out of the system. And in the UK, for example, the first full day without coal was only in 2017. And at the time, it was it was a huge deal. It was followed by the first week without coal. And then this year, we saw a full month. And that was a record at the time. And now here we are another month after that, still with no coal in the system. And the goal of the UK is to have no coal at all by 2023. But we're already at a very, very low share, something like 2% of total generation. So what we're starting to see is really a momentum behind coal phase-outs across the board, where a combination of policy drivers and economics are really making it clear that a coal phase out date is not necessarily you know, the reason why this is happening. And in many cases, it's likely that coal is going to, if not officially close, at least fall very dramatically, even before some of those, uh, even optimistic dates of, of early 2020s for some of the more ambitious European countries.
3: Back in 2014, where did we start in the UK? Uh, roughly what percentage generation?
2: If I remember well, we're looking at something around 25 to 30% coming from coal.
3: Wow. I mean, that's quite remarkable. It's, it's a huge drop. Can we go into both of those drivers? So Katie, you mentioned there's policy drivers, there's economics drivers. Why don't we take those each in turn and go through what those drivers are uh, that explain this drop in coal across Europe?
0: So on the one hand, we have sort of a a less well-known policy driver, but one that is becoming more important right now, which is the EU's uh, targets to reduce emissions, but not particularly carbon emissions in general, but actually the pollutants. And so the EU has been implementing uh, gradually more strict limits on what kind of pollutants in what quantities power plants can emit. And just this year and next year, essentially there will be much stricter limitations coming into force where a number of power plants are likely going to realize that putting an investment into making, you know, the the improvements to reduce those pollutant emissions is probably just not going to be worth it in the end, and it's going to make sense to actually close. The other major policy driver is really just the, the EU's move to a greener economy. And of course, we've heard a lot about the Green Deal and now the Green Recovery Package, but even before that, the EU had 2020 targets to reach a certain share of renewables in energy consumption overall.
1: Did we reach those numbers by this year?
0: We won't know for sure until sometime next year, but it is looking like we are going to definitely reach the EU-level target. And then each country has had to adopt its own overall target and then also granular targets for power, transport, and for heat. And one thing that is pretty important is that the electricity sector targets Tend to be a lot easier because usually it's a case of you know, retiring some coal plants, adding some renewables, and the share of renewables in the mix increases pretty rapidly. So that has been sort of one of the easier ways for countries to reach their overall targets. And so we're seeing, you know, more and more renewables are competing with coal. And if we're talking about the economics, Andreas can say more about why coal is becoming less and less competitive. But the EU now is in a very much um, sort of one directional path towards a greener economy overall. And it's becoming very clear that the role that coal has to play in a greener future is minimal and and falling fast.
1: So there is coal and then there are renewables, but actually between the two, there's something that's actually a lot cheaper than coal, but maybe a little bit easier to mix in, which is gas. And the economics for gas have actually come down dramatically very recently, making it very competitive in a number of contexts and locations. Can you guys address gas and how it fits into the future of coal? In
2: Europe, the reason why the EU ETS was initially set up, so the carbon pricing scheme for Europe, the first goal was to actually, at some point, make coal expensive enough so that it can no longer compete with gas. And we achieved that uh, about two years ago when we saw the economics of coal uh, around Europe turning, a combination of cheap gas coming from the US and carbon price modifications in policy. So they they actually reduced the oversupply of carbon emissions that we had as a hangover from the 2009-2010 financial crisis. The combination of these two Essentially, suddenly made gas plants really competitive with coal. We were right there at that point where running a gas plant and running a coal plant was one and the same. Before that, running a coal plant was dirty. Now, uh, with the COVID crisis, in fact, we have a new status where uh, gas prices in Europe have collapsed to record levels. I think we're talking about something like four euros per megawatt hour in the Netherlands compared to like 16 euros per megawatt hour about a year ago. And what this is essentially doing, it's saying that we don't need coal for everything. And one thing you need to keep in mind is that many gas fleets around Europe have been sized to actually be able to take over coal for most of the time. So what ends up happening is coal plants are now asked to service the 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. and that. Area that like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. because of COVID is lower because people are staying at home, they're not going to work. And so, coal plants are now saying, Well, no, we can't do that. Like, we can't turn on for three, four hours and then go away. So, economics combined with the fact that these assets are not built to service a few hours in the day, they're built to, to run flat out. Like, a coal plant hates to turn on and off the combination of these two things has essentially completely pushed them out of generation in countries like not just the uk but like italy spain wherever you have a large gas you see this happening in greece a country that was in love with lignite and lignite was the beginning and end all all of everything now it's like we there is speculation there has been like lignite free days or or days when lignite Contributed so little to the generation mix that you know it was unheard of.
1: Is anyone still in love with lit night? Are there countries that are are still really resisting this, either for economic or political reasons?
0: Definitely. And I think the, the political sort of pushback is one of the main reasons why a coal phase out, in those words, is still not in discussion in, in several European countries. It's just become a political you know, kind of hot potato that, that nobody really wants to touch. One of the reasons for that is, you know, that lignite and hard coal power production, and especially in Eastern Europe still is linked to the mining sector so unfortunately the economic impact is being felt very heavily in those places in countries such as poland uh, czech republic romania bulgaria even greece where the government still may not want to discuss coal phase outs in greece they have it has been announced but the utilities in those areas still need to come up with some kind of option going forward, because although those regions may rely on jobs, as Andrea said, the economics are putting more and more pressure on that industry to the point where, you know, whether there's political will or not, the industry is really struggling.
3: I actually used to live next to a giant coal plant in Romania. The air quality for, for, for me personally was not that good. <laughs> so I, I personally, I think I would welcome this change.
0: The air quality is a really interesting point because that is sort of the one area where Governments are starting to be able to gain traction to discuss coal phase out. You know, just talking about closing coal is very unpopular. But once you start to actually speak with people and, you know, they realize that the reason that air quality is poor is because of coal power generation, that's been one of the sort of main factors, especially in Eastern Europe, that is driving the conversation towards moving beyond coal.
3: I thought EU Power Weekly was really interesting in, in terms of company strategy, that PGE, uh, what is that, Poland's utility, is that right?
0: I think it is the biggest utility in Poland, yeah.
3: Right, okay. So they have a strategy. They've announced a strategy to, to phase out coal over the next 25 years. But also, they've, they're starting to entertain a strategy of divesting or spinning off their coal assets into a separate company to make PGE itself more investable. Can you describe some of the longer-term utility strategies here? I guess it's air quality, but it's also just utility strategy.
0: Yeah, I think on, on the one hand, utilities are feeling the economic pressure that... At this point, in many cases, if we're looking for you know a new source of power generation, it makes a lot more sense to build new renewables plants rather than new fossil fuel plants. But we're also at a point now where new renewables are even more competitive with existing fossil assets. So replacing some of the oldest and dirtiest you know coal powered uh, plants, especially in places like Poland, with renewables is you know, actually makes just Good sense uh, from an economics point of view. At the same time, the EU level targets are making it clear that the future is going to be with renewables. And so utilities are starting to realize that, you know, if, if they're looking to expand, renewables are going to be the, the place to look. Especially, you know, Poland is starting to investigate offshore wind. Um, they're looking at More stable source of generation that's still renewable, but also as a way to generate jobs and you know a little bit more economic activity in the areas that are bordering the sea, trying to bring more activity back to ports. So utilities are trying to basically, if they can, get away from those costly assets that are really pulling them down, and are sending signals across the board that they're looking at you know more sustainable options. They've understood where the wind is blowing, and it's their pockets ultimately that uh, are taking the hit from, from costly coal generation.
1: I do sometimes hear, though, from proponents of coal, they point out that we need baseload power, and that's essentially what coal provides. So maybe this is a a question for you, Andreas, from an economic standpoint and just from a general grid mix standpoint, is everything else all added together, is that going to be consistent enough? And when we all start back at work, we are physically going to the office, is there going to be some sort of a a rebound or a yo-yo effect that is going to put us exactly back where we were regarding coal, and um, everything else in the generation mix.
2: So I want to start by clarifying a thing that I think a lot of people in the industry know, but the people who work in coal often don't distinguish. And you said, oh, coal is baseload power. Well, so is gas. And if gas is cheaper, like it is in the US, why should coal be baseload power? So yes, coal is baseload power, but, it's not the only technology. And you look at a country like France and nuclear is baseload power. So from that point of view, um, I want to make that distinction that the fact that coal can do baseload power to me is actually a deficiency. Because if you ask me, well, coal gas can do both baseload and peak. So um, that is a, that is like a first thing to, to keep in mind. As far as the rebound for coal, if you ask me, I struggle to see how coal could rebound in Europe. Demand will rebound, and uh, probably will start burning more gas. But we need to clear up the gas oversupply. It is clear that the carbon price will keep coal out. And I think, increasingly, utilities are like, well, policy is against us, right? Like, it's pretty clear we have coal phase-outs in most of Europe. Economics, whether they are against us or in our favor, it's probably more against us than in our favor. And so you see companies saying, "Well, let's call it quits. Let's, you know, why have this bleeding wound running? Just like cut it off and 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 throw it away." Like I'm, I'm sorry to be so uh, so dramatic, but but that's how they see it. And you know, we've been talking about uh, UK, uh, but we haven't touched, the, for example, on Germany, where there is like a cold phase out there going on. Uh, and right now in the crisis, lignite, right? Uh, a fuel that costs nothing is essentially still more expensive to run than gas because of low gas prices and the carbon price. You go to Italy, Enel announced early uh, closure of one of its plants. You go to Portugal, sorry, Spain. EDP announced uh, the early closure of another coal plant there. The PPC in Greece has been asking the government to shut down the coal plants. And the government's the one that's saying, hey, how about we take this a step easier than what you want to do because it's, you know, okay, we agreed to a phase out, but it's still political. Uh, so I think that there is not going to be, there's, there might be an apparent rebound, but the trend is set. is like this thing is going away and it's going away fast.
3: Are the same companies that are shutting down coal plants, are those the same ones that own the gas and renewables plants that are, that are taking their place or are there winners and losers here? Or is it all just kind of net zero? Uh-huh.
2: No, I wouldn't say there are winners and losers. There are emerging strategies everywhere, right? There are the ones who bet on compensation for having to close coal plants or, because that's a thing, right? Like, and, and so they say, let's take the coal assets and probably will get paid to do that. A very good example is EPH from uh, the Czech Republic. They've been buying up old coal plants and old gas plants for very cheap prices, hoping that... Either they get used or they get paid for that. RWE, to a certain extent, also bet on that when it essentially decided to take all of uh, all of the coal generation and, and, and keep it on its books. Then you have the companies who say, look, I want nothing to do with coal. Eon well, said, I want nothing to do with uh, generation in general, but m- maybe we can think of like Vattenfall uh, that a few years ago essentially paid EPH to take two lignite plants away from its books. And then uh, you have the companies that, uh, like Enel or uh, EDP, very large European utilities that uh, have a mix, have a very low coal in their mix. And essentially, they're saying, look, we're looking to phase it out. We're looking to free up money to then invest in new technologies. If you ask me, obviously, anyone who's like massively exposed to coal today is suffering, but even you know there are counter examples to that, like the Greek formerly state-owned utility, uh, the Public Power Corp. Now it's uh, traded. Uh, everyone was betting that they were, were going to have a very bad uh, first quarter, and because of the coronavirus crisis, in, in a second quarter. And in fact, uh, for some miraculous reason, they managed to post a profit, if I'm not wrong. Katie can correct me there. And uh, it was because of their grids division. So there are surprises everywhere, and. And, and, and I think this is a period where companies like RWE or the PPC or others that are heavily exposed to coal are discovering new profit-making uh, uh, sectors of their business. This
1: is definitely involves a lot of economic signals. But I want to know, at the end of the line, the 2030-2050 emissions targets, how much of that success or failure of hitting those targets has to do with coal? How big is it as a part of the whole when it comes to emissions?
0: Coal is going to play a, a key role in whether or not the EU is able to meet its 2030 target and then its its ultimate 2050 goal of you know economy-wide net zero emissions. So coal in the power sector accounts for about two-thirds of, of total power sector emissions in the EU now. And so if if the bloc is really serious about reducing, you know, that, that chunk of emissions, it's going to have to take a very serious step towards reducing emissions from coal. But as I mentioned earlier as well, the electricity sector is one of the more straightforward sectors of the economy to decarbonize. And so the EU, if they want to meet net zero, is going to have to do quite a lot of work in, you know, in buildings and in heating and in transport. And that's going to be harder. So it's going to make a lot more sense to try and take bigger more straightforward steps in decarbonizing the power sector. Um, The the EU has put this green recovery really front and center in its post-COVID stimulus plans. Um, And especially, it has set out this uh, mechanism that is really designed to help bring the countries and regions that are going to have a much steeper path towards decarbonization on board. So the just transition mechanism was set up as part of the Green Deal, announced at the end of 2019. But from 7.5 billion euros that were meant to go towards that fund in the Green Deal, the new recovery package has increased that by more than four times. So it's now 40 billion euros that will go to making sure that no no regions or, or areas are left behind from the transition. One of the key points, though, is that no funding will be available unless those regions produce a just transition plan. So they'll have to actually, you know, lay out targets, concrete steps on how to decarbonize, and it's very unlikely that they'll be receiving funds if they don't acknowledge at least they need to move past coal and start taking steps, uh, concrete steps in that direction.
2: Andreas, you mentioned you had a sum up thought. Can you bring us on home? So yeah, like I, I think what we're seeing here is that coal is on the way out in Europe. What we're essentially seeing is. You know, low gas prices, high carbon prices are making the economics of coal plants unbearable. However, as we've seen in the past, gas prices do not need to stay low and carbon prices do not need to stay high. And I think this is where European policy comes in. European policy is essentially the continent's insurance to say, no matter what the economics do, we are kicking this thing out. And I think. This period right now gave a future vision, the COVID period gave a vision of the future to coal operators. But there are still the ones that say, "Well, well, maybe things change for us. And that's where European policy comes in and says, even if they do, don't hope on it. Don't go out investing in these things. And I think that's the key difference between now and let's say European policy 10 or 15 years ago that essentially wasn't clear enough, and you see new coal. We would see new coal plants in countries like Germany, countries like the UK. You would see updates and retrofits, and I think that's really important to keep in mind that there's been this shift, and probably that's you know we we saw an acceleration of the shift during the COVID nineteen crisis.
1: Thank you so much for providing the perspective both from the economics and the policy landscape for the future of coal. Katie and Andreas, great having you with Mark and I here today.
2: Thank you for having us.
0: Thank you both.
3: Bloomberg NEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute nor should it be construed as investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording and any liability as a result of this recording is expressly disclaimed.